John chapter 15, we're going to dive in to this passage. But let me set it up because I think it's important to understand what is going on. John chapter 15, Jesus is going to share with us an illustration to help us understand our relationship with him. But it's important to know what's going on because he's about to go to the cross. And and actually, they call John 15 and 16 Jesus' farewell discourse. It's his final words. And I think that the context of this makes it even more powerful because I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've sat with a family member or somebody at their bedside during their final moments in this life. And maybe you can right now even think about somebody that you love that you were with in their final moments. And isn't it amazing? You can remember so many details about that conversation because final words are so powerful. And Jesus wants us to understand this as he's about to be crucified and give his life for the world. He says this in John 15, he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who, everybody say that next word, remain. Those who remain in me. And he's going to use that word over and over in John 15. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. It was a few years back, everybody. We took our family, our boys, and actually the uh, Jen's parents went with us and we went to SeaWorld. Got there early in the morning. The lines weren't that long. And right there at the front of the park, have you been in the last few years, they have this ride called Manta. And that's right. We made a decision to leave the boys with uh, Jen's parents and decide that Jen and I were going to go get on that ride. And, and we'll probably never do that again, but we did that morning. And I'll never forget that experience because uh, I wasn't ready for what was going to happen on the Manta ride. Remember, we got in line and waited. And you know how they do when you, when you get on the roller coaster, they come by and they, they squeeze on your, th- that's what concerns me. You know, when they squeeze on your harness and like bruise a couple ribs in the process, man, it's like, do I really need to be that tight in this thing? Nothing improves your prayer life, everybody, like getting on a roller coaster. Isn't it amazing? No matter how far God feels away, when you get on a roller coaster, Jesus is right there with you, man. I mean, and he was, and I started praying and praying for Jen and letting Jen know I loved her. And this is the last time I see her, that our kids are going to be okay with the grandparents, you know, just last words kind of deal. And I remember as we got on that coaster, one of the last things Jen said to me, she said, do you want to hand your cell phone to the attendant? I said, no, it'll be fine in my pocket. You know where this is going, don't you? My khaki shorts were a little bit too loose on the Manta ride, everybody. And you just don't have time to respond. And it's crazy. On the Manta ride, you're waiting for this roller coaster to go off. And before it takes off, they flip you, flip you up so you're just facing the ground. I'm like, dear Lord, what are we doing right now? The thing takes off. And before I can even realize what's going on, you're looping and looping. And all of a sudden, I feel that phone flying up my pocket out of my pocket. It's all like happening in slow motion, you know, when you're seeing your phone and I reach for that thing and I couldn't grab it. I watched that phone just go flying. And I tell you, I was so frustrated getting off all the fun and the joy left me in that moment. It's like, I knew I should have listened to my wife one more time. 
got off that ride, made our way around. But luckily that phone, you know how they have the, the net, the net with everybody's loot just covered all over that net is money, credit cards, sunglasses. And sure enough, there's my phone found an attendant. That guy popped that net 18 times until finally we got the phone down. It was in four pieces, but I had my phone. Have you noticed how people act when they lose their phone? I mean, it's like, it's like they've lost their best friend, everybody. Oh my goodness. I don't know what happened to my phone. Call my number. Somebody let, let my family know everything is okay. I'm all right. I don't know. I can't respond to the text. I'm going to miss a meeting. I mean, it's like life goes on hold and that's just the first two minutes. It's crazy because we're so connected to that device. Any time at all away from it makes us feel this sense of being disconnected. And the question I have for you this morning is that would we even notice it if we went without being in a relationship with God for a day? Would there be any feeling like, oh my goodness, I, I haven't spent time with God? Or if you went three days without talking to him, would you even notice a difference? Honestly, the reason we feel disconnected our phone is because we're so connected to it. And what Jesus is saying in John 15 is that the strength of your life is not found in the car you drive or the possessions you have or anything in this life that it has to offer you. The strength of who you are in your life is your connection to your God and your savior. That's who your life is. And that's what this whole message is about. It's about being connected. And I want to give us a few things. I believe these oftentimes are some of the big things that keep us disconnected from what really matters. Number one, it's our pace. It's our pace. I don't know about you, but as I look across the landscape of my life and the people surrounded by, I notice that there's a constant, a constant hurry. We're, we're, we're striving to get everywhere. We go faster and get better and do it quicker. A few weeks ago, Jen and I were heading down to a funeral in Sarasota. And man, it was one of the most, it was the most challenging hour and a half on 75. I'm, I mean, we met one crazy driver after another. Do you drive on the same 75 that I do? I mean, they're out there, right? And I remember just thinking and, and asking Jen, like, look at these people. What, where are they going that it's so important that they cut us off every two minutes? Are, are, is, is life that big a rush? Are they in that big a hurry? And I think that we live in this world where we're just trying to go fast, get ahead. Do it faster. And it leaves us with more anxiety and more misery than we've ever experienced. It's the pace of life. I think another one is, is possessions. It's that, it's that craving for stuff. I just want one more thing. Just something else to satisfy this ache in my heart. I just want to use a few pictures to kind of help us just get an idea of you know what I mean, what this looks like. Because Jesus says here in John 15, he says, you're a branch. You're a branch and your life is connected to the vine. Your life is connected to the vine. But, but so often I think we fill life with possessions. Like, you know, man, I, I, need, I need the new iPhone 10. I don't know if it's new anymore, but the, I need it. I need, I need, that, I need that extra payment. Just, just a year and I'll have it paid off and you know, I got, I got to have it. I got to have the accessibility and all the things it offers. And, but not only do I need the phone, 
man, I need the car. I need the Dodge. I need the Dodge Challenger. (laughs) Only reason I put that up there is because I have a nine-year-old that desperately wants a Dodge Challenger when he can drive. I'm like, Caden, I'm going to get you a Dodge Challenger. It's going to be a Matchbox Dodge Challenger. I don't know what dream you're living, but you're going to wake up real soon, buddy. And, you know, I got the car. Now I got the payment, so I better get a job. You know, I need a job to pay for the car. And, and, and then, you know, the special lady comes into your life, and you meet Barbie and just everything, man. It's just, it's just going. It's moving. But you're not going to be able to live in that same house. So you need a bigger house. You need more. I just need more room. But now you got the bigger house. So you need the bigger dog, right? You just, and it's just stuff. And what happens is your identity becomes attached, not to who God created you to be, but to the stuff that you have. You find your worth and your value and the next thing in your life and everything around you based on what you have, not who you were created to be. And what happens? Well, the phone that was great when you first got it, man, the battery starts dying every afternoon at three o'clock. And Apple's just suckered you in because they know they're going to come out with another model and you're going to buy it. And it frustrates you every day. And and the car, it's got an oil leak. And not only do you have the payment, but now you've got the repair cost. And then the job is not everything that you hoped it would be. And, and then Barbie, she meets a great guy named Ken. She leaves you. And the house, you know, man, I mean, you got the roof to repair, the stuff you didn't expect, and the dog is just chewing on all your shoes. And, and you find that everything that you wanted is causing you not joy, it's causing you more misery. And the real question is this, it's not, it's not whether stuff is, is, is a problem. Don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. It's, it's not about having stuff. The question is this, does the stuff have me? Does the stuff have me? Like if, if I didn't have it, would I also not have my joy? If the things left, if the possessions left, would my peace leave as well? Is my, is my contentment and who I am attached to what I have or is it really found in who God created me to be? My primary purpose, your primary purpose, purpose everybody, is to be connected to our creator I think another one, a big one, pays, possessions. I think approval is huge. So long we're, we're seeking out our worth and our value and what other people think about us. We're running this rat race hoping that, that we'll meet the standards and chasing after what people believe and expect us to be. And that's really not who God created us to be. Can I remind you, it's, it's Palm Sunday, a week before Easter, and it's the day that we celebrate our Christian faith that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey and people gathered on the sides and they, they shouted Hosanna and they waved palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what's interesting is that some of those same people that shouted Hosanna on Sunday, a few days later, were shouting crucify, crucify. Let me tell you, if you find your identity and value and what people think about you, you'll always be let down. But when I find my value and identity and who Christ created me to be, I don't seek the pleasure and affirmation this world offers. 
I love John 15, verse 9, the message. Jesus says this. He gives us a picture of what it's like to be secure in him. He says, I've loved you the way my father has loved me. And I just want to say to somebody before I move forward is that maybe you've walked into church today feeling like God could never love you for what you've done. Could I just remind you? So God loved you so much that he sent his son to die long before you would make the mistakes you made. That God loves you not because of your goodness. Man, if it was based on our goodness, none of us could stand. But he loves you based on his grace for you. He says this, I've loved you the way my father has loved me. He says, make yourselves at home in my love. I love the way the message paraphrase says it. Make yourself at home. You know, there's something that feels just so safe about being at home. A couple weeks ago, we were traveling on a trip and we left on a Sunday night and Jen and I were, were alone. And so we hadn't made any plans for a hotel, but we want, knew we wanted to stop halfway. And so I'm driving, I'm saying, Jen, just find the absolute best deal that you can. Well, when Jen's looking for a hotel, that's not what she's thinking about at all. She's thinking about, man, what are the amenities? Is it nice? Is it going to be a great place? Does it feel good? Do they have the breakfast buffet in the morning? You know, I mean, and, and all those things are important. But I'm like, wait, hey, we're only going to be sleeping there for eight hours. If you can find one for 30 bucks, uh, come on, baby, you can do it. You know what I'm saying? We met in the middle. All right. We met in the middle. And here's the thing, when we walked into this hotel room, we were not at home, everybody. And I don't want to get graphic or detail with you, but I'm telling you, we think about some of this stuff when we walk into a hotel room. And one of the first things we do, we walk in and we grab the comforter from that bed. And Jen folds that thing up. Because you think about it, how many people have slept on that bed? And they don't wash that comforter. I mean, there's DNA all over that thing. No, no, no. We fold that thing up and put it right in the closet. All right. And then we inspect the sheets, man. Cause I'm telling you, if there's a hair that ain't from my body, we could be talking to somebody. All right. I mean, I'm just OCD. It's crazy. And you walk on your tiptoes. I mean, it's just like eight, I need God. I need eight hours of sleep and then we're out of here. All right. And it's, you're, you're not at home. You're not at home. Listen, when I'm at home, I don't care what hair is on the bed. It's my bed. It's me. I'm, I know that's more than you want to know about. But <laughs> Some of you this morning, you walked in on your tiptoes. You're looking around going, man, what are they like here? How many songs are they going to sing? When's he going to be done talking? Get this egg hump done and, and get home. And God's saying, Make yourself at home. Listen, you don't have to walk in t- on tiptoes worried about what you've done or is everything going to be okay? Is God going to love me the way? I'm? Let me tell you, when you walk into God's home, you can walk with your chest high, knowing you're walking not based on your goodness. You're walking in based on his grace. He loves you. He's inviting you into his presence. And there in his presence, fullness of joy. Somebody say amen. Amen. So let me give you three things, and then we'll go this morning. To, a, a way to live a life that matters. A way to live a life that matters. Number one is this. Make a decision that I'm going to stay connected. I'm going to stay connected. More than just a one-time 
punch the clock, make sure I go to church once a year. No, God is, God created you not for religion. God created you for relationship. He loves you. He wants to know that he's with you every minute of every day. And he says this in John 15, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. He says, your life can't find its full meaning unless you stay connected. Last Sunday afternoon, our family was just relaxing at the house, and I knew we needed to get a few things. We had an event, start event last Sunday night for church, and I had a few minutes, so I ran to the grocery store. And I don't know how you are. When I go to the grocery store, I'm like head down, get my stuff, and get out of there. But I made it over to the produce section, and there, where I typically find the bag of apples that I get, there there were no apples, the kind that I usually get. And so I kind of stood there for a minute. I don't know, lost. I don't know what I was doing. But I obviously caught the attention of the produce manager. And he said, sir, can I help you? And of course, my response, like any guy, is no, I'm good. But somehow that conversation turned into a 10-minute conversation about apples, everybody. I mean, I learned more in 10 minutes. This guy was just passionate about apples. And I was, I was amazed at his passion about apples. It was incredible telling me where they're grown, the way they're stored, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, this is, I'm just, this is cool, man. You know, it's more than I would ever want to know. And I said, you know, he said, what are you looking for? I said, well, I typically get this three pound bag, the one that's got a bunch in there because my kids eat these like crazy and we go through them fast. He said, well, what are you looking for? And I said, you know, I just like a a nice, sweet, crunchy apple. He said, well, man, if you're looking for a sweet apple, let me show you a better option. And he took me over here and he said, you've been shopping, you've been getting these small ones but you need to get one like this. And I said, well, why do I need to get one like this? And I thought, man, I should have known this when he responded. He said, because if you want an apple that is the sweetest, you need to find one that has stayed connected to the tree the longest. That's good, isn't it? Listen, sometimes, sometimes, When I'm not acting sweet, Jen will look at me and say, you need to go connect with Jesus a little bit longer. Your devos weren't long enough this morning. One more worship song before we talk because you're not really sweet right now. Can I tell you this? The sweetness of your life is not in anything you have in this life. The sweetness of your life is your ability to stay connected to the one who brings life to you. That's how you find connection. That's how you don't fall off the tree. Don't get disconnected from the tree. Don't let this be a one-time day because it's egg hunt Sunday. And let this be more because I'm telling you, God wants to do more in your life than you could ever do on your own. Stay connected. Psalm 16 says, David says, you will show me the, the way of life. Granting me, look what he says, the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. David understood this. My peace and my joy are found being with God, being with God. Stay connected. Number two, number two is this. It's not a fun one, but it's powerful is embrace pain, 
embrace pain. And let me, let me talk to you real quick. I've got about four more minutes, and then we'll wrap up and we'll pray together and go. But there's somebody in the room today that in the moment of your deepest pain, the reason you've disconnected from God is you wondered, why God? Why weren't you there in the middle of my situation? And can I tell you this and remind you this, is that maybe, maybe God was teaching and growing you through that pain that you couldn't have learned any other way. Let me tell you, there's a situation in my life and in your life that if I look back, I go, God, I would never want that to happen again. But thank you, God, that you brought me through it because you've made me the man I am because I went through the most difficult situations of my life. And the enemy tried to steal and rob and destroy my life, but I am not a victim. I am, I'm a victor in Jesus' name. So I don't regret my past, but I stand on my past in Jesus' name. Can somebody say Amen. You got to understand that we got to embrace pain. John 15, he says this, I'm the great, true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes. That's not a fun word, but it's powerful. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Heard this story about a doctor in the middle uh, early to mid-1900s, Dr. Paul Brandt, he wrote a book called The Pain, The Gift Nobody Wants. Pain, The Gift That Nobody Wants, and I would absolutely agree. He developed a reconstructive surgery on hands and feet to repair deformities with patients who were dealing with leprosy. And he discovered this, that deformities in the patient's hands and feet were not caused by the skin deteriorating, but the deformities were being caused because of the absence of pain. And he realized this, that the body's inability to deal with what was going on in people's hands and feet had everything to do with the fact that the body couldn't feel the pain of it. And he says this, God designed the human body so that it is able to, to survive, get this, because of pain, because of pain. So don't look back at your painful moment and regret. Look at it with purpose and say, God, thank you for growing me through it because you've turned that test into my testimony. You've turned that struggle into something I'm going to stand on and share the goodness and greatness of God about. Let me tell you this this morning is that pain can be the pathway to a more productive life. Pain can be the pathway to a more productive life. Some of you have walked through affairs, miscarriages, discouragement, disappointments in your life. And you've asked, why God? And I want to challenge you this morning to remain, to remain even in the pain. You know, my gym coach, oftentimes, she, she always, she uses this word pain all the time. I'm like, man, I don't want any more pain. It's like, Wes, you can't grow unless you feel some pain. She smiles when she says it. You know, it just it does my heart the wrong way sometimes. Let me tell you this. Embrace the pain in your life. Know that God is growing you. He's pruning you. He's making you everything he wants you to be. And number three is this. A life that matters 
Stay connected, embrace pain, and produce fruit. Produce fruit. John 15, 5, it says this, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Produce much fruit. The goodness of your life. Let me tell you this. There's no amount of church services you could ever go to to earn God's grace. I mean, there's, there's nothing about religious, religion that honors God, but a life that bears the fruit of what Jesus is like is what it's all about. So what does that look like? Paul says this in Galatians, Galatians chapter five. He says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. And let me just ask you, is this what your life looks like? He'll produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience. Oh God, help me with patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God, fill me not with a heart that desires to get angry and frustrated people, but, but with a heart of meekness and patience. God, fill me not with a heart of indulgence that's always wanting to get my own way, but a heart of self-control that says, God, not what I want, what you want. God, help me to live a life that matters. I want to invite you just for a moment. Would you just bow your heads?